Connect and experience art at the Northfield Arts Guild. Visit our galleries, arts festival, and take in a performance at our theater featuring a full season of dramas, comedies, and musicals. The Guild's gift shop showcases unique art from over 100 local and regional member artists. Come enjoy music from the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra or the 411 Concert Series. We invite you to explore your creativity in one of our classes. All are welcome at the Northfield Arts Guild. To learn how you can be a part, visit northfieldartsguild.org or call 507-645-8877. Art Zany, radio for the imagination, with your host, Paula Granquist, is brought to you by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts. And now, Art Zany, radio for the imagination. Good morning, this is Paula Granquist, and you're tuned in to Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. Thank you so much for listening to the show that celebrates creating and stories, and I am very excited. We are going to do some wonderful imagination exercises today, so let's get ready to tune our imaginations together. I want to go ahead and tell you that here's here's what we're going to do today. You might be looking out your window, and that's what I'm doing right now here at the KYMN Studios. It's a January morning, and it's pretty easy right now to dream about somewhere else you would rather be (laughs) than here amidst the piles of snow and the sometimes icy sidewalks where you have to do that little shuffle as you walk, the gray skies, the slow drives, the shivery walks. This might not be our finest hour in Minnesota. (laughs) We're in the middle of that endurance test of winter. But we do it every year. We buckle down and push through the white wonderland in the short days and the crunchy, slushy, or slick snow. Some years, it's a longer haul than others to get to that other side of the field where it's warm and green and lush and lovely. There are times during these long winters that our minds perhaps develop a case of wanderlust. And I love vacationing in the state of mind of wanderlust. Where should we go? What should we explore? What would be better than here? Do I dream of beaches, meadows, blue skies, hot or warm, familiar or foreign, wildly imaginative or practical and informative, with a guide that is knowledgeable or funny? Lucky for us today, we're going to have an incredible guide to help us Take a journey to the other place, one of our imaginations. We'll talk about the world of travel literature and begin our adventure today. In the studio with me, I have David, David, excuse me, Daniel Van Tassel, and he is here to talk about his book, Journey by the Book, A Guide to Tales of Travel. And uh, this book is uh, Compass Pointing to the Magnetic Field of Travel, a tool enabling the Pathfinder reader to explore uncharted seas and territories in the kingdom of travel. The tales of travel summoned, explored, and scrutinized for the traveler extend from imaginary journeys to very real ones, including the Odyssey and Gulliver's Travels, among others. David I did it again. I'm not sure where my mind is. I th- well, I guess I was thinking about David Crosby. I just heard the the news that he passed away. And so 
uh, I just maybe that's what's on my mind. I'm already off in another land dreaming of the music. Daniel Van Tassel is the author of Back to Barron, a chronicle of growing up in small town in rural mid-century America. He graduated from St. Olaf College and earned his MA and PH degrees in literature from the University of Iowa. He's now re- retired and living in Northfield with his wife, Rhoda, and he teaches at the Cannon Valley Elder Collegium Program. And it's a pleasure to be able to welcome you back to Art Zany Radio and to have you here to talk about the book. We started our journey for a very short launch, just a quick quick intro, I guess, to to your book last last fall. And I'm excited that we can get back together and talk about your uh, this book and the world that it opens up to all of us. First, let's have you uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little, little bit about you and your world and how you came to know this literature. I'm well, going to have you drop that mic down so we can make sure and hear you. Okay, Paula. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, well, like you say, I'm a, per, uh, a professor. <laughs> and uh, in reading literature, uh as soon as you start picking, you pick up a book, you're you're off somewhere. We're mm-hmm. the we're the author, and uh, often the setting is not just background; it becomes foreground. And I noticed increasingly during my different courses, certain works stood out as tales of travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it wasn't long before I was teaching a specific course, even called Tales of Travel, or Fantastic Literature. But uh, anyway, so uh, this this book is a, a product of years of becoming more acquainted with uh, authors who take us uh, in, in, into a setting that becomes uh, the focus and meaning of the work, and so that the, even the structure of the work is dependent on a trip. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and yeah, and there is um, just so much literature out there. You have a great introduction, which kind of talks about the way that you winnowed down this, because there, you, there's a lot out there. You even give some good references of other people who've done surveys of this literature that might, um, you know, in, in, give people another perspective. But I love that um, Wanderlust was mentioned several times <laughs> in in the opening. How has this felt for you? And how do you think having that Wanderlust has kind of made uh, choices for you in life? Well, I think uh, both as a so-called armchair traveler as well as an, a, a veteran uh, traveler, uh, I've enjoyed uh, uh, the kind of satisfying the restless desire, like you said earlier, to be elsewhere right. than you are now. And uh, so th- these works are vicarious pleasures to be elsewhere and it is amazing how much you learn about the place where you aren't (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, and i like to think of the book really as a ticket to a a smorgasbord of travels that is the the fair is uh, includes classics uh, like you've mentioned a few of them the odyssey pilgrim's progress marco polo gulliver's travels Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, uh, plus a lot of uh, stories, some where the journey is made up and others where it's authentication of where the author had gone. 
and uh, so you you kind of have a map or a, a journey that you're uh, becoming acquainted with, and it's increasing your understanding of the globe and of parts of the world. Yeah, and in this book, you give us, um, you know, just just a way to maybe think about the book or or the topic or the journey so we can decide, well, is that a journey I want to take? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's a really good introduction. I, I was really impressed with how you were able to winnow down the, uh, the <laughs> list and then to take each book and kind of encapsulate it in such succinct ways that made it both enticing and thought-provoking and uh, kind of a glimpse into the style or the a little bit of the history of the book or some context which which it gave you which I, I think you've done very well here well thank you yeah, yeah. and and so I, I too I think I think when I was younger I had a little bit more wanderlust than I have now <laughs> it was easier I think to imagine well of course I'll just travel all the time you know yeah. there, you you as a kid don't think about how much that costs or <laughs> you know how much time off it takes to, to do something like that and how much planning and preparation it takes. I think I thought I could see the whole world. I, you know, I was inspired by uh, Nellie Bly, right, who oh, yeah. took took that journey and, you know, I, on her airplane and went all around the world. And so I dreamed all of that was possible. But and in reality, even though I've made some great trips, I've only seen like a postage stamp of the world. It's just a <laughs> tiny little corner. And so, uh, you know, as it gets harder, then these books, I think, become more valuable to you because you, you have a way to access those trips without having to, you know, physically take take that journey and and there are some journeys that I would I know I would never ever do right and so but reading about is the best way to experience it in the company of a guide it does make it easier uh, because some of the choices are already made for you Uh, and like you say if if you don't if you're not actually going there but uh, you're going uh, second hand very vicariously, uh, you don't have to pack the bag or pay the bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably, you probably always have to pay the bill. Oh, I see. You can't go anywhere for free. <laughs> no. Yeah. But there's so much you gain. And, and with, with reading, you probably can just go to the library or get an ebook or, you know, go to your local bookstore and those journeys are waiting for you. Uh, I think, um, and you've been able to do a bunch of travel. And I was thinking I about this. As I was inspired by this book thinking about my kids. And uh, we haven't done as much traveling, some of that pandemic-related, some of that oh, yeah. just, you know. That the shut sta- things down. Yeah, the stage of life we're yeah. in and, um, you know, some of the, the choices we've made about careers. And I as I was thinking, gosh, I was, wonder if there's a way we should flip our plans in life, right? Because when you're younger, it's easier to do some of those journeys. And uh, maybe we should be spending the first years of our life with our families focused on venturing out into the world, meeting new people, making connections to other cultures, volunteering. And then when we're all older, we can come back and do school and work. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about. That, reverse like, the order. Yeah, reverse the order <laughs> because, you know, you have a lot more energy when you're younger and it's just, you know, I think you're just more open and, and it might change the world if we did something like that. So that's something to ponder. But how did you 
you uh, prioritize to make travel a part of of your life and and you you, you know as a professor you were able to fit that in um, right. quite wonderfully well uh i think you were talking about uh how uh, there was an overview in the in the uh, prologue as it were to the work uh there was over 100 uh itineraries that uh, i look at and then about two dozen of them I close in on with a chapter devoted to each of several great works. Well, for me, uh, I uh, I use the interim, the January term, uh, to start with as a way to uh, get students off campus and to traveling. I put together a course I called Literary Haunts of the British Isles. And so we would go and get acquainted with... Uh, plays and museums and uh, locations that were important to various writers and use that as grist for the mill. Uh, but uh, And then also uh, my teaching career involved a lot of uh, studying research elsewhere at, at major libraries around the world. So that was helpful. Uh, and uh, then... Well, I was at Muskingum College, John Glenn's alma mater, mm-hmm. where as an alum, he said, if you graduate from Muskingum, you can go anywhere in the world or beyond the world. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, right. Yeah. He's one of the few that have done that. Exactly. Well, so, uh, but I put together a, a one-for-one exchange program for students and faculty with all kinds of other campuses around the world. And, of course, you'd need to travel and set things up for them. But uh, you would, so that, in effect, uh, you would only swap places uh, and just pay your tuition or get your scholarship back at your home uh, campus, but go for half a year or year elsewhere. And so we explored a lot of places uh, uh, around the world that would increase the student's citizenship, uh, world citizenship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we started out, my wife and I, going to Europe, uh, uh, buying a car uh, there, and uh, just uh, setting our own itinerary uh, and become acquainted with different ways to do things. And, and so we always followed up with trips you know, different places, Hong Kong, you name it. Wow, uh, I love how you, yeah. what you did was you took that wanderlust that you had and by, you passed that on to, I'm sure, many of those students. You ignited something in them. I'm afraid which, I did. <laughs> yeah, and then it came back to you, and it was just yeah. a really nice way to keep that going forward. Well, even like uh, to teach Shakespeare, when I was at Pacific Lutheran University in Tacoma, Washington, in the summer, particularly when I taught Shakespeare, I'd take, well, we'd do a couple of plays uh, on campus, and then we'd take vans, go down to Ashland, Oregon, to the Shakespearean Festival, mm. spend uh, time at either camping out or in a dorm, and then uh, go to the air-conditioned theater for matinees and to the outdoor theater like the Globe, uh, for nighttime presentations, and it was interesting because you got out of town, you got so that the main thing was Shakespeare. 
kids were talking, uh, you know, all the time about their views of this player, that, and uh, and that was the main subject. But and even lo- that can uh, be a travel adventure, right? You don't have can. to go across the world. You can no. go down the road. Exactly, just down the road. And so a lot of it is just knowing what is ahead of you or uh, anticipating that there's going to be something different <laughs> by the time you fork a road or what have you. Do you yep. have any uh, good packing advice for people who want to travel? Oh, that's great. Uh, well, I think usually we uh, people overpack, and I know that was <laughs> that would my be case. me. <laughs> yep, because usually you wind up, you know, with a, a dress or a shirt or some few things that didn't get pulled out of the the bag or what have you, and so next time you cut it back. But I think it's. Yeah, it would be so much easier to purchase something if you were really in a bind or wash it or something. Mm-hmm. But so, but it's interesting because every one of these stories spends time preparing. Like uh, Robin Davidson in her story Tracks, where she uh, goes astride a camel across the desert of Australia. Uh, she decides that she took too much, and so she starts discarding stuff. And eventually, <laughs> she prefers to go naked. <laughs> uh, and, well, of course, it's hot there. but And she's alone except with her camels, whom she treats like children, her children. And it's very nice relationship she has with those. And I think the animals that populate so many of these travels, not like Noah's Ark, but, I mean, uh, even like, say, uh, uh, like uh, Jupiter's Travels, where Ed uh, finds a herd of elephants, and oh, he's right. just enamored of those quiet, restful elephants and feels like he's sharing a view that people have had for time out of mind. Uh, and he notices that their elephants are supposed to be gray, aren't they? These are brown. Well, of course, they've been dusting themselves. Uh, at any rate, uh, for him, it's uh, a kind of a case of biodiversity. He's so pleased with the presence of those animals and is hopeful that he'll find other parts of the of the globe that, uh, you know, animals have been kept in there. And you have know, that, you quoted his description in, in your chapter about that book. And it was so... Uh, of the moment, right? You yeah. just it, even that little little quote you pulled out really yeah. told you how he viewed the world, and it made you want to read more about what he has written. It was not a book I was familiar with until no. until I read your book, and uh, it it you know he clearly has a gift for words and turns of phrases, and you can see that, and you do that in the book, giving just enough to whet our appetite. Yeah. It's a it's a marathon trip too, as you know, sixty five thousand miles, forty four some countries, and uh, you know he's out there uh, and uh, on just a little motorcycle, but <laughs> but the animals help him 
fill in the blanks. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, and so this book takes you on that journey by giving you a, a bit of each book. Each chapter is focused on on a different book, and it has a really interesting structure because you don't have to read it as, you know, start to finish. You can kind of, you know, flip through it and decide, oh, I, I you know, go to the back and look at the index and, you know, kind of pick out what kind of adventure you want to start so then you can decide well is this the book i want to read next or is this the place i want to go i promote that kind of reading that is uh especially if they are essays and most mm. of the things i write are like essays and it doesn't it's not a chronological sequence you can move around or if you don't care to you want to change from sea legs to <laughs> tramping you can do that anytime you want uh set your own trail as it were exactly well, we were talking earlier about those two books by Mark Twain, uh, similarly entitled, one, Innocence Abroad, and the other, Tramp Abroad. Two very different books that uh, set out for, the, uh, for a trip to the Holy Land and parts of Europe. But the one is a real pilgrimage. Uh, Swift joins a number of others to learn more about the backgrounds of Christianity and so on and uh, wants to lose prejudices, which is what people travel for often. Uh, in the other book, it's just a hoot, uh, a tramp abroad. Uh, well, <laughs> even the title is uh, <laughs> is ignored. They don't tramp much. They take a carriage or some other form. But there's a lot of humor in the book, especially where uh, Twain learns that the e easiest way to uh, reach the summit of a mountain is to use a telescope. <laughs> <laughs> then you don't have to prepare with all the stuff that's needed to climb. And then, as he thought about it, go b descend, maybe even by a glacier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. There, there's that section where they're trying to yeah. figure out how to get uh, down. And right. uh, they and, and you list, I, I think this was, must have been from the book, all the different things they packed. Yes. And it was quite, this. Oh. oh, my goodness, it was exhaustive. And I, I mean, one of the things was, you know, 85 umbrellas. I can't remember what the number was. It was a whole lot of umbrellas. And Spare, spare crutches. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and so the, they were contemplating, should we try to jump off this mountain and go down? Parachute, kind of, yeah. <laughs> Which was, uh, you, could, you can see his humor developing in, exactly. in that. And these are books that I had just recently found out about. Uh, I oh, was yeah. not aware of, of these. And these were written before his sort of classic American yes. novels that he wrote. And so I found it very fascinating. And, and you do a great job in that chapter of, uh, you know, contrasting the two of, you know, how his, you know, they were both group group trips, but the, right. the uh, first one, in Innocence Abroad, is more a traditional travel reflection. Yes. Where yeah. he, he is, is, and the second one is more irreverent and oh my, he yeah. goes off on tangents. And he does. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, it feels more free. I guess the first trip was paid for by a, like a newspaper or something. Yeah, he, he got it all paid for, right. And so yeah. he was doing his job, but then it feels like he found his voice in in that second one. That's well put. 
You mm-hmm. bet. Yeah. But that's good to know if you're looking to read them. You know, you can kind of, what, what sounds good right at, because that happens with books a lot. Sometimes you're just in the mood for, you know, education or learning or facts. And other times you're like, I just need something to take me away. You're right. Yeah, those are such different books. Well, and then you, you mentioned the other classics like Huck Finn. Uh, that's a travel book, too, because Huck and Jim, the runaway slave, they take off together uh, going on a raft down the Mississippi. And that raft is the vehicle for this voyage where a lot of insights are shared. At one point, uh, Huck says, see those lights on in that cabin? Them sick folks. And, you know, he, and he's commiserating mm-hmm. with, the, with the world on the shores. Uh, and in another book, Twain, uh, Twain chronicles uh, the life of and learning that a steamboat uh, pilot uh, will engage as he goes down to the delta and then back up. And the thing was, when you get down there, you think you've got it all memorized. When you go back, it's the reverse. And <laughs> most of our reverse trips are totally different. <laughs> yeah, that was a good point you made. And, 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 and the Mississippi River clearly is you know, prominent. Like the story yes. wouldn't be the same if it were a smaller, you know, mm. tributary or it needs to be the mighty Mississippi when they when they take the trip. And that's certainly true of all of the books that you feature, yep. that the, the place is a character or a core to the story. Yes, sometimes it's the protagonist, actually, uh, or it can be the antagonist, but you're right. The setting is something we deal with in those stories where uh, the setting and the trip, the itinerary, is so much a part of the structure and meaning of the work. And those are the ones that we've shifted around and and uh, brought out to focus uh, in this volume. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to start with um, taking a closer look at the section you wrote about Gulliver's Travels. Oh, okay. And, and Gulliver's Travels, many of us know that book as, you know, sort of a... a I don't know, fanciful, child's tale, a classic, imaginative tale. Uh, and when I read your chapter on it, I think your the lens that you looked at it showed me a new way to read it. And I may want to go back and revisit that story and see you know, what, what you're talking about here, because it's more a book on the commentary of travel adventure writings, and it really has some deep... Uh, ways of talking about the human condition. And, and, and so you really, I thought that was really brilliant. So let's talk about that chapter. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously w- what's there too is the, the children's fascination over uh, what it would be like John Thumb figures or pygmies on the one hand or giants on the other hand, uh, the Lilliputians uh, uh, and then these gargantuan people or the talking horses at the end. I mean, these are uh, clever uh, renditions of aspects of uh, human life that uh, we kind of dream about and so forth. But Gulliver uh, is uh, Swift's uh, medium for examining how people uh, are short-sighted or how they are prejudiced. uh, And uh, so... Uh, Lemuel Gulliver 
uh, whose four voyages take him away from his family <laughs> and uh, and spend time as a sh- ship captain and so on. But he's he's uh, he's learning about his own shortcomings and the 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 Winhams, the talking horses. At the end, it finally reaches the point where the book has to come to an end because uh, Gulliver has really lost it. Uh, what he's doing is uh, imagining that somehow these uh, horses are superior to human beings, mm-hmm. and in some respects they are. But when he goes home, it's he's he's prideful, and Swift, who was uh, the dean of St. Patrick's Cathedral and a man of the cloth, felt that uh, people were in need of redemption and that. Uh, pride was one of the big seven deadly sins. And so this text is woven within, like you say, the work to kind of give it a uh, a real meaningful exploration of what are the limits and what are the heights and depths of human endeavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's also uh, looking at not only imitating child literature, fanciful stories, but as well uh, imaginary journeys and experiments because he's always got some kind of uh, measurement to gauge this or that. He keeps scraps uh, like a mosquito uh, uh, or a bumblebee stinger or something (laughs) to take back to the scientific organizations uh, to let them know that he has proof that he's been there, you know. Right, yeah, and I think as a kid, I might have just gone with the idea that there could be this place where these, you know, Lilliputians live or the yeah. giants live, and and I took it literally, right? You you go yeah. to a, a lens of a fantastical journey. As you should. Right. I mean, I think there are different levels at which we read things, and sometimes our second or third reading of, of a work is a lot vaster than what we first started with. Or sometimes, unfortunately, we're disappointed on a second or third reading uh, because we don't get what we thought we got the first go-around. But that book does lend itself to a different kind of readership. You're right. And uh, in a way, it can feed at all levels. That's great. Yeah, and I think there's an echo of that. I was just thinking about this in the Mark Twain book where is it the barometer that he's measuring? I can't remember what the tool was. And, and one day he makes soup. soup. <laughs> <laughs> he throws it in the soup and says, proclaims it to be the best soup and all he wants is barometer soup. <laughs> it's a, and it's he's a, also making fun, I making think. Making fun of science. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because even uh, their attempt to get to the summit is all mixed up with the clock and so forth. In fact, it's interesting because at the end of the the second volume, well, he he uh, lists a lot of uh, the uh, recipes or and menus of things that he's missing out on. And as travelers, uh, while we in, partake in the novelty of different ways to eat and do things, uh, sometimes uh, it gets a little tedious. I remember my wife and I said, oh, no, not chips again, fish and chips. (laughs) (laughs) You know, on the other hand, uh, uh, you know, so you kind of crave what was your indigenous diet, you know. 
but yeah, that's uh, it is interesting the different levels at which we read uh, and how a book can feed us twice. I mean, yeah, yeah we're not not really nourished until we see it at a level that uh, the adult line provides. Yeah. And folks, if you're just tuning in, this is Art Zaney, Radio for the Imagination. I'm Paula Granquist. I'm here with Daniel Van Tassel. We're talking about his book, by Journey by the Book, A Guide to Tales of Travel. I want to let you know that it is available here in Northfield at Content Bookstore. You can also get it in paperback from Sunbury Press, and that is S-U-N-B-U-R-Y Press.com. It's available on Kindle ebook from Amazon, and you can get a copy directly from Dan. He'll give that to you. Um, so if you see him uh, at the Can Valley Elder Collegium or around town, um, go ahead. I, I'll let them get in contact with you through the station. As I don't want to give out your number here, in case, but folks can always contact KWM and we can get you connected because it, it is a fascinating book to um, look at. You know. I think travel is is just a key core human desire and and that there's nothing like being able to uh, experience it with a, a real great writer and uh, going to a place, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the book you mentioned earlier, Tracks by Robin oh, yeah. Davidson, which was a recent book published yeah. in 1980, one I was not familiar with. So this was really fun to to learn about. Um, I've always wanted to go to Australia and a movie was made of that book. Oh, know. it was. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Well, someday I hope to do that. But yeah. now I would not do the journey that she did, which was a trek across the the desert by camel. Uh, and uh, you know, so I feel really delighted that you introduced me to this book because it's not the adventure I would ever ever dream of taking. But I got to uh, hear a little bit about her, and it, you piqued my interest. Mm -hmm. So it might be one of those I get to put on my to be read list. What? Um, how did you discover this book? Because that's a, a journey like no other. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, once my Let's prescription was changed, <laughs> I, I started. Once I started to uh, look for those works in which a journey, a voyage, some kind of road trip, uh, or trek uh, dominated the setting, uh, it wasn't too hard to. Uh, to see what what came about and uh but other works I happened to be including for other reasons maybe among uh, courses that I taught in English or world literature uh but then when I started focusing on tales of travel uh it's just amazing how many suggestions came to the fore. Sure. In fact, I still hear a lot of people say, well, have you read this and that? Well, of course you can't read them all. You know? <laughs> no. Uh, and, and I loved in this story, uh, really brought up for me some really important questions because at one point in the book, she has this encounter with a National Geographic photographer. Yep. And she really didn't want to spend time with him. She was thinking, this is my journey. I, you know, I'm yeah. doing this alone, but then she realized that she actually needed him. I think it was for some cash. She needed some assistance. I, yes, I, yeah. Um, tell us about uh, that, because that brings up a really 
interesting question. Uh, a lot of people take journeys for personal reasons, but it's really hard to do something alone. Well, and uh, he was paid uh, to photograph by the same organization that was paying her way, too. And uh, so, in a way, she couldn't maintain complete independence. Uh, And, in fact, that trip, like many trips, sometimes taxes us beyond, not beyond which we're able, but beyond what we thought. Mm -hmm. And... uh, she had figured that she was uh, resilient and independent, but it turns out that some of the uh, uh, some of the uh, natives there that helped her guide at different points, and this gentleman from San, uh, from the uh, National Geographic, also uh, were helpful uh, to uh, her uh, long journey. Uh, and I think this is interesting because uh, there are people along the way who help our journey become what it should become. A lot of times uh, we don't uh, – well, uh, uh, what the writers suggest again and again is that it's the journey, the traveling, not the reaching the mm. destination that is critical in our travel. And I guess this is kind of – what is a uh, philosophy of life we sort of should hold up to, and that is that uh, it's the excitement of the journey, not the completion of the trip. Right, and so if I, I think that's an important thing yeah. to to think about when we, you know, get ready to pack. One of the things we have to pack is that attitude of, <laughs> I'm on my way to a journey, and if I don't make it to that church or if I don't get to see that, go to that restaurant or, you know, whatever you're dreaming about, then pay attention to what you're doing as you're venturing towards there, because that may be the real reason you're supposed to be there. Boy, if that isn't it, that is uh, so much of the trip, uh, even if it's planned with an itinerary, is going to be spontaneous. And if we don't uh, allow for that, uh, we're going to sh- sell ourselves short and the trip short. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the funnest things, some of the more uh, influential and educative things are those things that we didn't plan on. Uh, people that we encountered and and uh, helped make the trip what it was. Uh, but again and again, it seems like that's the attitude of the great traveler. That is that somehow... Uh, it's uh, it's going, not arriving. Uh, that is the important part. You know when you, your trip is up, and uh, and you might be anxious about uh, bringing it to a close. But to be focusing on exactly what the itinerary was, and uh, Monday we're here, <laughs> Tuesday mm-hmm. we're there, uh, could uh, sell short uh, the experience of the trip. And I think that's seen in trip after trip. I think that's such an important point. And all of these journeys um, have have some of that teaching for us about what what the real adventure is. Exactly. And and so I love that. You know, as I was was looking at the book, I just was thinking uh, about, oh, my gosh, a lot of the books that are some of my favorite books are actual journey books. And I hadn't, you know, sort of put that, um, you know, together. And so uh, there's so many 
ways that this uh, comes comes out in what we do read in, in reading that structure that allows you to take that adventure and you know you may or may not get to the end of the where your original destination is when you're reading a book but you go along with it because you want to be there for the journey uh, one we have to mention at least in my eyes is the fabulous bill bryson oh, who yeah. if folks aren't familiar with his writings i think you could pick up any one of his books and be enthralled um, he writes um, from the point of view of Every man, right? Every human. He is likable and humorous and uh, has great observations, has a, a good mind to teach us along the way. Uh, you featured his book, uh, A Walk in the Woods. And I think a lot of us can relate to his ambitions in this journey because it, it actually uh, fits well in, with that idea of not worrying about the end destination. Tell us a little bit about um, his journey. <laughs> uh, there's a raft of books that uh, deal with c crossing parts of uh, Americana, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's, uh, uh, it's uh, Steinbeck's Travels with Charlie, uh, where he takes a dog and a pickup a camper across the country and explores all the nooks and crannies or it's somebody like uh, uh, William Least Heat Moon, uh, who also takes the by trails, the off trails, and so on. Well, with Bill Bryson, who's uh, oh, he's written tons of books on mm -hmm. everything from Shakespeare and science uh, to travel tales of one sort or another. In uh, uh, the Appalachian, a walk in the Appalachian Trail. Uh, he he does what uh, Americans do. They visit national parks and so on uh, and uh, try to recreate and uh, also get a larger view of what the uh, endowment is as far as the country is concerned. Well, he and his uh, kind of uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, friend, Cats, uh, from his past, uh, who's uh, had trouble kind of s staying straight, uh, <laughs> head off, and they have a great time uh, doing portions of the uh, Appalachian Trail, which moves from uh, south of Georgia up to Maine mm -hmm. a couple thousand miles. And most people, when they do it, will do it in pieces over different summers or what have you or do be day trippers and go out and see certain parts of it. But uh, it's it's a chance for him to explore uh, the American uh, legacy of the uh, national forest and so forth, uh, but also uh, to meet, as they do from time to time, different people and what their attitude and take is on such a trip. Uh, there's a lot of humor involved, especially in terms of food, uh, they get the wrong bags of food to start with, <laughs> and that makes a big difference. Yeah, and they end up eating a lot of noodles. A lot of noodles, <laughs> right. Which is kind of an interesting thing to think about being, uh, that isn't what I would put on my list, top list of nourishing. No, and that's that's <laughs> offset by some candy bars and some treats that they get when they head off the trail and uh, use junk food down at the, <laughs> at the local off-site trail. Uh, yeah, it's it's really a, a wonderful piece. Uh, 
as is most of what Bryson said. In fact, it's interesting, during my studies over the decade about that it took to put the book together, I had emails from two people. One was from Bill Bryson, and the other was uh, from uh, the uh, author of uh, the final uh, story uh, in the book. Uh, oh, let me grab a it. A journalist. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Let's see, which is the last? Paul Thoreau, was that it? No. No, right after. The, uh, oh, uh, the uh, Carl Hoffman. Yeah, Carl Hoffman. He, the fact, Lunatic Express. Yeah, we've been having some correspondence and, and uh, with Bryson as well. And it just uh, it reminds you of what a nice network it is among writers and uh, teachers and citizens uh, to share at different levels uh, aspects of the trip and so on. The Lunatic Express is just a wild tale that I end with. <laughs> uh, and it, the tale itself uh, is an attempt on the part of uh, Kaufman to take uh, really the most dangerous forms of public transit uh, out traveling. He felt that uh, he shouldn't just put himself in first-class settings for meals and for travel uh, conveniences, but if he's going to really learn about people, uh, he should be able to lie on the deck next to them uh, uh, with a pillow, maybe. Or, yeah, I, uh, this is not, again, and, this is travel I'll read about. I'm not yeah. going to ever do that. No, it's a tough one. <laughs> I mean, he kind of dared himself to do this, and uh, it's a wonderful uh, story of how he does all this, and he even uses headlines from uh, disasters over different modes of transportation in the past to highlight uh, where he's going and so forth. At one point, his college daughter visits him in, well, in South America, but uh, they they use a little saner form of transportation. But, um, in fact, recently there was a, an anniversary of one of the uh, uh, ferry boats that went down uh, whose disaster was actually more, uh, more significant than that of the Titanic. Uh, but we just don't hear much about these public events that are occurring in other parts of the world. We're so oriented around our own issues and so on. But um, it's, uh, it's, it, uh, it's a wonderful way to kind of end the collection about uh, ways of traveling and maybe ways not to travel. <laughs> but like you say, you can uh, do this uh, in your armchair <laughs> and not have to expend uh, uh, dangerous uh, time and, and resources uh, uh, aboard uh, modes of transportation that might not get you there. Well, and I think that's interesting, too, because uh, one of the things that um, everybody always thinks about when they take travel is, and, and one of the things I like is to not necessarily just put on your list those places that, you know, you have to see, right? Oh, yeah. uh, or that, yeah. that are tourist uh, destinations. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's harder to do sometimes because it's, you know, it's a little, there's a little more risk involved. And I think that, um, you know, being outside of that 
tourist industry because it be- does become this odd relationship that you know you're um, feeding into that the way they want to, to be seen or or the things that they can you know um, get you to buy souvenirs and you know things that aren't real life in that place. Yep. Yeah, and, more commercial life. Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so, um, you know, one of the things I like to do is to, to uh, visit grocery stores. Oh, yeah. So that I can yeah. buy meals in places where families are buying meals, not just in restaurants. And I think you save money there, too, because you don't always end up buying, you know, as much, right? Or or it's, it's a little, uh, you get fresh fruit or, you know, things that are... Um, not always available at the hotels in the in the lobbies and such. But how, what do you do to have a richer, more meaningful experience well, on I travel th- journeys? I think with that too. Like when we were in Europe uh, for uh, a summer, uh, our first summer, uh, we we picked up supplies at the green grocer and whatnot, and had picnics and so forth, and uh, and didn't just uh, have a record of the famous restaurants or uh, buy fashionable clothes or uh, or just see sites that uh, were always advertised as uh, the key sites to visit uh, in this place or that. Uh, you can do enough of that without uh, letting it be the main print, uh, your footprint there. Uh, so I think we we often wanted just we didn't want to have an itinerary that was just cities, for example, but would get you out into the hinterlands and into small towns and be a chance to meet with uh, the rank and file of people, or to see like in Spain we would see farmers uh, with their um, donkeys pulling up carts and uh, roughing it, as it were. Uh, and willing to talk to you, uh, and so on. Uh, I remember when we were up in the Highlands, we had stopped our the rented car we had, and we're trying to figure out on a map where we should go because there were so many options, you know. And uh, a gentleman uh, stopped by, and, and we asked him, and he said, "Oh, it's all Bonnie Land." <laughs> <laughs> So it didn't really matter where we went. Yeah. Uh, assured you, wherever you picked, you were going to have a good experience. Yeah, that That's there would wonderful. be ship roam, uh, sheep roaming across <laughs> the road or the lane, and there would be hills and uh, flowers to see and people to meet. Uh, and your trip really needs to be individualized, I would think, like you were suggesting, rather than be a carbon copy of of what could be anybody else's journal or what have you. Some of the things that really uh, earmark your your diary are those activities which you mentioned earlier that are Spain spontaneous, that have nothing to do with the reputation of the country or uh, its arts or what have you, but give you uh, some uh, private uh, view of uh, what makes that trip uh, stand out. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is available in trip after trip that is recorded uh, in the style of the writer uh, and with the uh, writer's uh, choice of uh, inclusion. 
uh, in these uh, hundred or so tales that are referenced here. All different modes of transportation uh, with uh, different intentions, uh, but always trying to enjoy uh, the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's a, such an important part. And the other aspect I think I want to close mm-hmm. with is the journey when you come back home. And oh. what, you know, I think that one of the, well, the hardest part of travel is that return home. And it's very prominent in many of these, these books that you've written about. And it, it's that way that we change when we are away and how to come back to a place that's still the same, but yet you're different. And so you're experiencing it different. It's really hard to make that adjustment. It is. And of course the, uh, uh, the the big uh, change is what uh, is uh, delineated in Odysseus, uh, who's gone not only ten years to get the war accomplished, and they do that fine, the Trojan horse and all of it, but another decade of trying wandering to get home, the home, the homesickness that sets in, the the luring the the lure now for what was known rather than the unknown. The comparison of the two is the point of the trip, is to compare what you know with what you don't know and to learn more. But uh, Odysseus, when he gets back, of course, to the suitors who so uh, undiplomatically are running down his uh, (laughs) wealth Mm -hmm. and his wife in terms of their... Uh, insistence on being considered. Uh, but anyway, you're right. There is that uh, typical ending of the return and the longing to be back, especially to be enabled to see things differently now that you've uh, you've been exploring elsewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. yeah, it's and I, I appreciate when other people can help us through that process. And exactly. that's why having yeah. access to a really good book with all those qualities of adventure <laughs> and wanderlust and the journey itself and uh, so much that are highlighted in the book, Journey by the Book. My guest today has been Daniel Van Tassel. This is really a, a, a wonderful book, kind of a hard to, hard to categorize book, but it <laughs> certainly does um, give us lots to think about and lots of ways to, to take new adventures. So thank you. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate your reading of it, your close reading of it, and our sharing of uh, some of the highlights. Yeah, yeah, there. that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, folks, this is Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. I really hope that you do take some adventures. They can be little or big, but just keep dreaming about them. And don't forget to always add some Art Zany to your life. And in the meantime, until next time, enjoy your imagination. You've been listening to Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination, with your host, Paula Granquist. Art Zany is brought to you each week by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts in Faribault. The Paradise Center for the Arts is a vibrant cultural and artistic gathering spot in historic downtown Faribault. The Paradise is committed to offering high-quality visual and performing art opportunities for Faribault and our region. 
regular event spotlights some of the best artists and musicians in our area and throughout Minnesota and the Upper Midwest. Our beautifully restored facility includes art galleries, classrooms, clay and textile labs, a gift shop and rehearsal spaces, in addition to a 300-seat auditorium. Visit ParadiseCenterForTheArts.org for a full schedule of events or call our box office at 507-332-7372. 